0: night If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 10. We're going to continue this uh, through the Bible study. Um, as you're turning there, as you're getting to your seats, I'm going to pray, ask the Lord's blessing upon our time together. Uh, we're going to pick up this evening in verse 27, uh, but after we pray, we'll, we'll get some context and some background. And I believe the Lord has some amazing things to put in front of us this evening. But let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word. Lord, we're thankful for this time that you've given us, Lord. And we're thankful for the gift of your spirit. Lord, we know that apart from you, we can do nothing, Lord. But we're thankful of your mindfulness of us, Lord. Lord, your pursuit of us, that you are always concerned with us, that your eyes are ever upon us. Lord, that your ear is open to our cry, Lord, and you desire to act on behalf of those who put their trust in you. And Lord, you alone know the hearts of every individual here this evening. You know our minds. You know the things that we are struggling with. You know the things in our lives that are not pleasing to you, Lord. And we ask for forgiveness, Lord. Lord, but we do ask that your spirit, Lord, would give us insight to your word, that you would change us, Lord, in the areas that need changing, That you'd encourage us in the areas that we're weak in lord and that you would empower us lord to live a life of victory and father we pray that your word in the sufficiency of your word would just be at the forefront tonight lord that you would glorify yourself this evening through the study of your word in jesus name amen amen as we have journeyed up to matthew chapter 10 in this point of our study we've seen the lord do some amazing things we came out of the Sermon on the Mount and we began to see Jesus perform these miracles and manifest his power over all kinds of sicknesses and diseases, over the winds and the seas within the storm, over uh, demons and their power. So he's successfully displayed his, uh, his power and his authority over death. He's, exp- he's displayed his authority over sicknesses, over demons, and over the elements of this earth and we've seen him go about teaching the kingdom of God and preaching in power even the the religious leaders would say that we haven't seen anyone speak with this authority and he's preaching and he's teaching in their synagogues and their homes, he's healing the sick, he's raising the dead, he's giving sight to the blind and he's casting out demons. But in chapter 10, we kind of come to a pivot point where something interesting takes place. In the beginning of chapter 10, he calls his 12 disciples unto himself. He calls Simon and Andrew and James and John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, uh, Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and the Bible says in Judas Iscariot who would ultimately betray him. And if you were with us last week, he calls the disciples to himself And he tells them to go out into the way of the Gentiles. Don't enter the cities of the Samaritans yet. Or excuse me, to not go into the way of the Gentiles yet. But to go to uh, the Jews first and go and preach the kingdom. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. I've given you this power to do this work that I've called you to do. They've seen Jesus do these things. They've heard his call to walk alongside of him, to be in step with him, but now he's going to empower him to partake in this ministry. It's their turn to be used. But the Lord so greatly and in his wisdom, he doesn't send them out without first preparing them for what's ahead. Because to have this understanding of usefulness in the kingdom with an improper perspective of the cost of discipleship is to set yourself up for failure already. Remember when the 70, later on in the, in the Gospels, he would send the 70 out, he'd send them out two by two, and they come back and they say, Lord, we've cast out demons in your name. And Jesus responds to them and says, don't rejoice that the demons are subject in my name, but rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. What Jesus is always going to bring you back to is the preeminence of relationship with himself. So he empowers them, but before he sends them, he reveals to them the cost of discipleship. That persecutions are going to come. That you're going to be hated by all for my name's sake. You're not going to be accepted everywhere that you go. So I think before we get into verse 27 this evening, to give us a a running start it's profitable to begin reading in verse 16 to give us some context look at verse 16 of Matthew chapter 10 with me this is Jesus again he's got the 12 with him he's preparing them this is one long dialogue or one long speech that he's giving to them seeking to prepare them for what's ahead before he sends them he says in verse 16 he says behold I send you out as sheep sheep in the midst of wolves therefore Be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, and I have this highlighted in my Bible, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake and as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, don't worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Now brother will deliver up brother to death, and father his child and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For assuredly I say to you, you will have, no, you will have not gone throughout the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher, and a servant to be like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, and hidden that will not be made known. Underline this in verse 26, but do not fear them. Jesus is giving them a perspective that he operates in. Because when you're going out and you're doing the work of God and you're following Jesus and opposition comes, the temptation of the heart of man is to fear the opposition and to forget that the Lord has called you into the opposition. That opposition is the confirmation of your effectiveness. There's going to be difficulties in this calling. If you want to live a marginal Christian life, which I don't believe there is such thing, I believe you're either all in or you're all out. If you want to be effective for the kingdom, there's going to be opposition, and there's going to be opposition of the worst kind. There's going to be opposition physically. they are going to, as Jesus just mentioned, they're going to beat you. They're going to, there's going to be opposition physically, but there's also going to be opposition emotionally. It hurts you when division is brought between you and a family member because you name the name of Jesus Christ. There's no way around that. It's a difficulty. And there's this propensity, there's this weakness in our hearts to give in to fear. We need to understand what fear is. Fear is demonic. Fear is not the enemy. Fear is a tactic of the enemy. So when you are beginning to fear and when you sense in your heart that you are shrinking back from the call of God in your life, you want to press on, but opposition is real, and there's this, uh, let's face it, there's a coward in all of us that wants to shrink back from the call of God upon our lives instead of move forward in faith. There's a demonic opposition there. The enemy is using his tactic of fear to cause you to shrink back. And if I were to ask you this evening, what is the opposite of fear? I would venture to say a lot of you would answer that question and say, well, faith is the opposite of fear. But biblically, that's incorrect. Because the opposite of fear is love. The Bible says that perfect love casts out all fear. Your fear is an opportunity to experience the love of God to a greater degree because what the Lord is about to do in the midst of this, uh, of this portion in the context is something that has always been amazing to me. Because he's talking about opposition and he's talking about, let's face it, every reason that he mentions here is reasonable cause to be afraid. No matter which way you view this text, being beaten for your faith is not easy. Causing a division because of your faith is not easy. Living a life of constant opposition is not easy. And when your heart is, per, is, is given over to fear, what the Lord does to his disciples is reveal to them the value of their life as individuals to him. So, when times get difficult, when you have given your life to Jesus... The Bible says in the parable of the sower and the seed that there's going to be opposition in your life for the word's sake. Literally, as the seed of God's word is being sown into your heart, there is something spiritual that is taking place right now and the enemy is going to try to snatch away that seed in your life before it even begins to bear fruit. There's a spiritual thing taking place here right now. But what you need to leave here knowing is that no no matter what opposition um, entraps you on your way out of here as you navigate through the rest of this week and into next week is that you are valuable to God. God sees value in your life. And so therefore, we're not to fear man, we're to fear him. We're to walk in confidence with God that God has led you into the season that you're in right now. Whatever opposition you're in, the will of God will lead you into opposition. The, w- the will of God will lead you into difficulty. But in the midst of that difficulty, God is there. Right, Isaiah 43, 1 through 3. When you walk through the waters, I will be with you. They will not overflow you. Though you walk through the, fodder, fa- the, the fire, you will not be burned. Nor will the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. I've called you by your name. You're mine. I have called you into this and I have placed you... In this difficulty, for my name's sake, for my glory, and what we walk out of difficulty with, especially when we're walking closer to the heart of God, is this confidence of the value of my life to God. Because these external pressures force us to seek the heart of God in a way that we we would have never sought Him before. We're called to a life of boldness. We're called to a life to be of, of mission, to be on mission. If you're not on mission for the cause of Jesus Christ and for the cause of kingdom, you are wasting your life. You're wasting your, your life in Christ. God has called you to preach the gospel. God has called you to live for him. God has called you to be a light in a dark world. God has called you to be salt in a tasteless world. And if you're not living within that calling, you're living for less than what he's called you to. However, if you are living in that calling, there's going to be opposition and that's just something we need to settle in our heart. There's going to be difficulty. There's going to be opposition. The Bible says that we must endure hardship as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that many are the afflictions of the righteous. That all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. There's going to be difficulties. But in the midst of it, we're to move forward. And we're to move forward out of a place of intimacy with Jesus. Notice what verse 27 says in Matthew 10. It says, Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. What he's saying is don't let this opposition stop you. Continue to proclaim and continue to preach with boldness what I have told you in your own relationship with me. What is this what does this tell us in this verse right here? Whatever I tell you in the dark speak in the light. There is a private relationship that a disciple of Jesus is supposed to have with himself by in which God is going to speak to you. And when he speaks, he's going to give you opportunities to proclaim truth. You think a Bible teacher just a true Bible teacher just comes up here and just spews words and with no impact in his own life first. No, Paul even says, I give to you that which I have received from the Lord, and that's my heart when I take a pulpit, that I just give to you that which I've already received from the Lord, but it's received from the Lord in, in my own private time with him, in my own relationship with him, in the depths of my own heart with him, and that should be your truth. That should be your reality, that you have such an intimacy with Jesus that the Lord is speaking to you about the condition of your heart and the condition of this world, so that when the Lord puts you in relation with someone, you can speak with boldness the truth of God that has already dealt with you. So he says, Preach in the, in the light what I've shown you in the dark, and what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. Verse 28, And do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both, both soul and body, notice and hell. Don't be afraid of the opposition. Don't be afraid of difficulty. We live in a, in a world today, especially in the Western culture, there's other countries that, that face real physical danger because of their preaching of the gospel and their living for Jesus. I just heard of a 12-year-old boy martyred um, and in, in, a, um, in an eastern country because he didn't, he didn't renounce his faith. That's real persecution. There are persecu- there's persecution coming in, in our own nation. I don't know if we'll reach that level. Uh, but you will be viewed differently. You will, it just is what it is. But he says, Don't fear those who can kill the body. But cannot kill the soul. This is interesting to me and I don't want to drill down too much on this point but it's an interesting observation that there is a difference between your body and your soul. There is something that this world can destroy and there's something that this world cannot destroy. He says fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There's two different types of fear. There's a fear of man. The Bible says the fear of man is a snare. And then there's a, there's a, a fear of God. This, there is this reverential fear of God that, uh, where you're submitting to, to His providence and His character and you're realizing that, God, you have put me in this place and you've given me opportunity to serve you in this, in this sphere. So I'm going to serve you with boldness. If difficulty comes, I'm not going to be afraid of the one you've allowed difficulty uh, to, by which the Lord has allowed difficulty to enter into your life by. I'm going to fear you. I'm going to put you above everything. I'm going to put you above every man that may persecute me. I'm going to look at everything that, that, that enters into my life as though it has passed through your hands. That is the truth, that nothing can touch you without passing through the hands of God. I love what George Whitfield says, we are immortal until our work on earth is done. Nothing can touch you, nothing can hinder you until, unless it is passed through the loving hands of God. So what the spiritual person does is it sees beyond the persecutor. It sees beyond the one or the situation or the difficulty that is bringing harm into your life. It looks beyond that through the eyes of faith and sees the Lord, as Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He saw the throne behind the throne. He saw the one that was allowing all things into his life. And who are you surrendering to? You're surrendering to God. You are to fear him. You're to have this reverential respect for him that he is able to not only kill your body, but also destroy your soul in hell. So I want to walk with him. I want to stay close to him. I want to serve him with all of my heart. Because look at this next verse. He says, Are not, this, this seems so out of context, but it's not. He says, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper, for a copper coin? This is this copper coin, this. In the language, it's one-sixteenth of a denarius. One-sixteenth of a a day's wages. They're sold for nothing. He's using these sparrows as an object lesson. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. Our lives so often feel so out of control. Feel so out of our hands. There's an element to that, and it's to train you and I that we're not to live by feelings, we're to live by faith. Not one Sparrow falls to the ground apart from their Father's will, how much more is he orchestrating the affairs of your life? And isn't that what so vexes our heart and mind daily? The ability of God to oversee and care for our lives? We are so concerned with God's providential care of our, of our lives, right? The Bible says that a lot fa- falls into the lap of a man, but his every decision is from the Lord. That a man's heart plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. Jeremiah 10.23 says that it is not in man to know the way in which, his, in which he will take. The Bible says that the, the, the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. We're so consumed and concerned with God's will being accomplished in our life. But what the Lord is trying to say to us is that nothing that causes you this much amount of anxiety has any bearing on my will for your life. I will perfect that which I have begun in your life. Not one sparrow falls to the ground apart from my will. And notice what he says. In verse 30, But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. The Lord is so intimately acquainted with every minute detail of your life and mine. And I'm thankful that this truth isn't contingent upon how I feel. Sometimes we need to believe this because the Bible Bible says this, because Jesus says this, right? The, The psalmist would say, I believe it's in Psalm 31, I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinks about me. God's mind is consumed with thoughts about you. And you know what he's not consumed with? He's not consumed with thoughts about his will for your life. God wants his will for your life to be accomplished more than you want his will for your life to be accomplished. What he longs for you to do is to to just trust and obey and to rest in him. And to be faithful where he's called you and look beyond the things in your life that are causing you stress and causing you anxiety and causing you difficulty and say, Lord, you're accomplishing your will in my life. I'm going to be faithful with today no matter how difficult today is. It is your hand that has placed me here. And if your hand has placed me here, it's for my good and for your glory. It's your love actively at work in my life and maybe he is using a difficulty to make some area of your flesh die or maybe he is using some person as sandpaper to 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 smooth off some rough end in your life or maybe he is you are the clay and you you are on the potter's will and your life feels out of control but his hands are on you because he's trying to center you in the middle of his will but his eye never leaves you his mind never stops being consumed with you and not just the things that you think his mind is consumed with he's consumed with the number of hairs on your head he's consumed with the things that are burning burdening your heart he's consumed with the things that grip your heart and cause you pain and he's not just consumed with those things he's consumed with why your heart responds to the way the way it responds in the midst of difficulty He's consumed with you. Where we struggle is, though his his mind is consumed with thoughts of us, our mind and our hearts are not consumed with thoughts of him. He he stops becoming the supreme object of our affection, and when he becomes the supreme object of our affection, like Peter, at the end of his life, he was able to say, crucify me upside down because I'm not worthy to die like my master. The Lord longs to get us there. That is a man who is fully consumed with a heart to please the Lord, to love Jesus. And if I can glorify, if my life will glorify the Lord the most through my volunteering for my death, then Lord, let it come. If your life can glorify the Lord the most through the difficulty you're doing, going through right now, And if your life can glorify him the most by just saying, Lord, I surrender, I'm gonna die to my will, I'm gonna die to the desires I have for my own life, and I'm just just gonna trust that I'm valuable to you and that you are using these things, these people, these circumstances in my life because your heart is full of good thoughts towards me and you love me and you have my best interest at hand, then I'm just gonna surrender to providence. But do you know the one that you're surrendering to? That is why the Lord is trying to drill this into the disciples' heart, because nothing about the disciples' lives is going to be easy. And when outside circumstances cause you to question the character and the goodness of God, you need to fall back on this. Verse 31, do not fear, therefore. Do not be afraid. Don't even have an ounce of... A fear in your heart. Why? Because you are of more value than many sparrows. That's why the enemy plays this game with us. You've blown it too much. You you have no value to God. That's why condemnation is such a demonic tool. Because it separates you from the mind of God. It, It gets your mind full of thoughts about you and not thoughts of God, about your failure, about your inability. You know that the Lord knows the wickedness. The Lord knows the depths of the wickedness of your own heart before you even know it, and he still calls you. He still calls you into this relationship with, you, with him. Why, though? Because you're valuable to him. And you may sit here and say, well, I don't, I don't feel this way. And in his grace, he removes the feeling of his presence so that you could learn that the just live by faith. Because Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes, is he really going to find faith on this earth? The Bible says that, the, that we overcome this world by our faith, that we walk by faith and not by sight. These truths are truths because God said them. They are promises of God and they are consistent with his character. Don't be afraid. Why? Why shouldn't I be afraid when everything outside of me tells me I have reason to fear? Everyone's against me. I can't afford my rent. I don't know what direction to take in my life. I don't know where to go in my life. I don't have a roof over my head tonight. But don't even fear that. Why? Because you're valuable to to him. You're more valuable to him And he is orchestrating his will in your life. If you can surrender to that in faith, but also in hope that his thoughts towards you are thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. So he needs his disciples to know this. He needs them to know that no matter how difficult things get in their lives and in their circumstances, no matter how close opposition gets, even the the scourge being laid across their back, know that you're valuable to me and that I'm going to be glorified in this and that you, are, that you will see my desire upon my enemies and he who makes himself an enemy of you is an enemy of God. He says in verse 32, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. There is a dynamic in this walk with the Lord um, that you don't realize is there until you get into it. And what I mean by that is Fear of opposition is so demonic that you don't know that you feel it until you're literally walking through it. And you don't, you don't realize that you will shrink to it until you're like Peter, denying the Lord to a little girl. So we need to walk with the truth and transparency and brokenness before the Lord and say, Lord... Give me the grace and the faith that I need to be bold for you when opposition comes. Because I know there will be a satanic attack against me when I have an opportunity to stand for you and it's gonna cause my heart to shrink back. Right, didn't the Lord say to Peter, Peter, Satan has asked that he may sift you as wheat. You don't think Satan was at work in the heart of Peter when he was given opportunities to not deny Jesus? Jesus? It was never his intention. He didn't want to deny the Lord, obviously, but he did. We need to settle in our hearts and we need to be prayerful if we are wanting to be used by God. Everything is, as we're going through this text, we need to have this this truth in our hearts. If we're saying yes to this calling, that there's going to be difficulty, there's going to be opposition, there's going to be a temptation to walk away. But the Lord says here, and, we, and these are some things that the Lord's gonna say in these next few verses that we cannot get away from. They're written in red. They're the words of Christ. We have to sit alone with them. Whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. We gotta see beyond the trial. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 5, it says, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess him. I will confess his name before my Father and before the angels. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. There's an opportunity to endure in the midst of fear, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of persecution and opposition. There's an opportunity to experience the fortitude that the Lord had. There's an opportunity, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, to be steadfast, to be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing your labor is not in vain in the Lord. If you are going through difficulty or persecution, even of the worst kind, change your perspective of it and understand that it is an opportunity to confess Christ before men, not always by what you say, but how you live, knowing that in eternity, when you step into the throne room of God and you're before the Bema seat, the Lord will look into the eyes of the Father and say, He's mine. And you are hidden with Christ in God and God and the Lord will brag upon you to the Father. That's why the Bible tells us to not set our mind on things on this earth but on things that are above because you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Nothing in this world is worth so much mental space that it causes you anxiety. But the enemy's there and our difficulties, our fears, our anxieties, our struggles, the depression and despondency as opportunities for us to to move forward and experience the power of God in the midst of weakness. Because what happens when there's persecution? I don't care how strong you think you are, you are weak in the midst of it, apart from God. When, when, When opposition, whether it is internal or external, comes, it is an equalizer of all men. That's why Paul could say, I despaired even of my own life. This is Paul, the apostle, saying that. I was burdened above measure. But when we, when we are experiencing difficulty, we are experiencing op- opposition, this is then our opportunity to confess to the Lord before men and to live before him in the midst of suffering. That's why I said in the past, Christians suffer differently. Suffering is real and it's overwhelming but there's a place that we must go to by which we could draw strength from the lord i think it was leonard ravenhill who often quoted that no man is greater than his prayer life if you think you're strong before god you'll be weak before men but if you're willing to get weak before god you'll be strong before men but you need to be acquainted with your own weakness Because if you're not acquainted with your own weakness, you will trust in your strength that is insufficient. But when a man or a woman is acquainted with their own weakness, they'll stand in the strength of God in the midst of difficulties and be able to confess him before men. It says in verse 34, Do not think that I came to bring peace on this earth. This is interesting. He came to give peace, but he didn't come to bring peace. He came to to give you peace in Him and in a relationship with Him. He came to give you peace with God in a relationship with the Father. But He didn't come to bring peace. I did not come to bring peace, He says, but a sword. Why? Because the truth divides. We live in a world today where truth is so subjective. Where truth is relative. And it's not. Truth is truth. And truth divides. For I've come to set a man against his Father. And a daughter against her mother, and a daughter in law against her mother in law. A man's enemies will be those of his own household. Again, these are truths that just need to sit with us. I don't know the dynamic of your home, I don't know the dynamic of your family. If you live in a home full of believers, you're blessed. There'll be even a dynamic if you live in the home full of believers and the Lord calls you to some deeper area of surrender in your life that you'll be mocked for. Not everyone's going to understand your calling all of the time. so the Bible says many are called but few are chosen. There's a cost to this. And if you're willing to be misunderstood before men so that you can have peace with God, God will use your life. Notice what he goes on to say in 37. He says, he who loves father or mother more than me, notice he's not worthy of me. He's letting them know there's gonna be divisions within your home, under your own roof, because you walk with me. He's drawing them into something deeper here. Don't just read these words and forget the background. These are men that Jesus called. Remember, James and John, they were fishermen. Peter and Andrew, they were fishermen. Their life was rather mundane in Capernaum. And then the Son of God encounters them, and he calls them, and he causes them to walk with him. And as they're walking with him, they're experiencing miracles. They're seeing the dead be raised, the blind see, the lepers cleansed. They're seeing demons cast out. They're on the sea and they're seeing the winds and the waves be calmed. And they're go- growing in this revelation of their own calling and who Jesus is. But he's letting them into something deeper. And the deeper truth is there's going to be opposition because this whole world in its system is set on edge against one person, the person of Jesus Christ. This world in its system is antichrist. It goes in the way of Satan. The Bible says in First John, John 2, verses 15 through 17, Do not love the world or the things in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it's not of the Father, but it's of the world. He who does the will of God abides forever. Right? He calls, he's, he's, he's bringing them into this understanding and the Lord is so gracious in how he deals with us. Right? As we walk with him, there's a, pro, there's a progressive revelation of what it means to be his disciple. Because in chapter, one he said, follow, excuse me, chapter four, he said, follow me and I will make you become a fisher of men. I'm going to give your life eternal value. Then they get to see everything they're going to be a part of. Now he calls them, he gives them power, and he's letting them know, look, this is what it's really all about. It's going to be difficult. But your calling must be consumed with a love for God above all else. There can be no competing affections in your life. And You know what's amazing about the Lord? is If we're honest right now, we have, erect, we have all erected idols in our hearts that compete for his place. We have an idolatrous heart. All right, that's the first thing in, in the book of Genesis. The Tower of Babel. And you see it in, in Exodus and them molding the calf and so on and so forth. We, we, are, we are created to worship. And our hearts are given over to false things. That's why the, the, the word of the Lord from the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 6 to the, the leaders of the, of, uh, of the Jewish people at that time. were, were That the, you have broken the heart of God because your eyes have played the harlot with other gods and your heart has departed from him. So if you want to stand in the midst of opposition, in the midst of persecution, that's why you've seen in the church today, you've seen in the midst of these, especially the last two years, you've seen this great sifting. People that once walked with him, walk with him no more because the cost is getting real. There, there is, there's this polarization taking place. He who loves father and mother more than me, notice he says flat out, you're not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy than me. Notice he, he mentions the, the most endearing relationships. The relationship, the love that you have for a father or, or your mother. The, the love that you have for a child. You can't even love your child more than you love the Lord. That's not what he wants. He wants you to love him supremely so that you can love them effectively. So that they are off the throne of your heart. So then that you can administer the love of God. We're not supposed to love them. We're supposed to be the conduit of the love of God towards them. And our love is so carnal. I can't even, I can't, as much as I love my daughters, I can't love them effectively unless it's the love of God because I'm prone to be easy when I should be hard and to be hard when I should be easy. But when God's love is governing me, he leads me in how to administer love. Love is not a feeling. Love is a choice. And you can't love others effectively unless you're loving God supremely. He's not telling you not to love them, he's telling you to love them correctly. But if they're on the throne of your heart, you'll never love them correctly, and you'll forsake your calling to the kingdom. Verse 38 says, And he who does not take his cross, and he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Notice this: there is the, the cross is suffering in your life and mine. There has to be a willful acceptance to the suffering that God allows. I I I I love this so much. Probably, when you, Matthew uh, ten thirty eight, Matthew sixteen thirty four, uh, Mark eight thirty eight, all these. Portions of Scripture when Jesus repeats this statement is my my favorite portion of the Bible. Because I'm becoming more and more consumed with the reality of the conditions of discipleship. That there must be this denial of self, this relinquishing of the rights of your own life, and this accepting of the suffering that He allows. Because the cross works death, but after death comes the resurrection life. Paul said he wanted to partake in the fellowship of his sufferings so that he may walk in the power of the resurrection. So we, we suffer because we kick against the cross. But the more you accept it and embrace it and stop kicking against suffering in your life, the more, beautiful, the more beautiful the cross becomes. Because it is the means in which he perfects you. It is the means in which intimacy in a relationship with his, him is gained. It is the mean in which the flesh is killed and the life of the spirit begins. He says in verse 39, he who finds his life will lose it. Life is not found in the possessing of things, but in the giving away. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. It is such an honor to give your life for the one who gave his for you. As I just mentioned, life doesn't consist of the accumulation of, this, of what this world has to offer, but in the continually uh, giving up of myself, my desires, and my rights to the Lord think about this I want you to think about this for a moment what a glorious reunion this will be when we look into the eyes of the one that we gave our life for no sacrifice will be a sacrifice at that point no difficulty will be a difficulty at that point what is the Lord asking you to relinquish in your life right now to surrender joyfully to him? What is the Lord asking you to accept by the means of difficulty and suffering? And in light of his presence, when when you are before him and your eyes are beholding him and his eyes are beholding you, what will you be able to say but thank you for the opportunity to worship you in this way? It's a sobering thought. It says in verse 40, he who receives you, receives me. Okay, so let's just look as as we land this plane, as we close this message up, about the power of who and what you represent. He who receives you, receives me. And we need to walk in the confidence of this. You're a child of God. You bear his name. He who receives you, receives me. And he who receives me, receives him who sent me. You need to understand your unity with Jesus, thus the unity you have with the Father. He who receives a prophet in the name of the, pro- uh, name of the prophet shall, shall receive a prophet's reward, and he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of, the, of these little ones only a cup of water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So as we close here, everything that the Lord was saying had to do with some pretty huge sacrifices that you're going to be hated by all for my name's sake, that you're going to have difficulties in your life, that there's going to be division in your home, that you're going to have to take up the cross, that there's going to be suffering. But even giving a cold cup of water in my name has meaning in the heart of eternity. And you may sit up here, sit down here and say, well, I've not really done great things for the Lord. And you really need to divorce your mind from that thought because there is no small task in the kingdom. There's no such thing as a, as a small thing. Preaching a sermon to the multitudes that then results in your martyrdom brings as much glory to the Father as a cup of cold water to a small child. We operate by the rules of a different kingdom. You say, well, what menial task do I have today that is presenting difficulty to me? The question is, are you seeking opportunity? You're saying, Lord, how can I be of use to you today? How can I bring pleasure to you today? How can I bless someone today in your name and when you open your eyes, you'll begin to see, Lord, you've put opportunity before me. And it's not the work that's sanctified, and it's the motive of the work, because it's the motive of the work that's going to be judged at the Bema seat. It's not the multitudes. It's the small acts of daily obedience. It's the small acts of daily relinquishment to the will of God. It's the small acts of of the daily acceptance of the things that God has allowed in your life that cause you suffering and pain and difficulty. It's a small acts of pleasing Him that will yield the greatest rewards in all of eternity. But you're only gonna do that out of a genuine heart that knows that you're val- valued by Him because love longs to be loved in return. And when you're assured of the love of God, You long to return the love. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the the word. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the understanding of your will that you've given us here tonight. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. And Lord, I do pray for everyone here this evening that is enduring trials and difficulties. And Lord, I just ask this evening that your spirit would enable us, Lord. Lord that you'd open our hearts to the moving of your Spirit and the power of your Spirit. Lord, help us not to be um, like children who are tossed to and fro by every thought and every emotion, but to be those who are rooted and built up in you. Help us to seek to be mature believers that are assured of your goodness and of your character. Lord, we want to glorify you in all things. So bless every life here we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.